0: What's up, Crypt Nation? Bryce Paul and the notorious pizza mind coming at you, per usual, from the sunny and 70 San Diego. All right, so if you haven't heard yet, Pete's and I just finished writing a 290-page book called Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. And we did this so that anyone, anywhere in the world can learn about really how cryptocurrency and blockchain technology are putting the power back in the hands of the people. And really we wrote this to equip the masses with the tools to profit from this revolution. So whether you invest in crypto or something else, the point is that you need to escape inflation, which is a hidden tax on your savings by investing in your future. And we think that crypto is really the hottest market, which has the most upside potential. And we are so confident that Crypto Revolution is the perfect starting point, whether you're the crypto curious or the seasoned investor just looking to learn about the world's newest asset class. All right, the best part is we're giving it away literally for free. Okay, for free. All we ask is you pay for shipping uh, just to help offset the cost of the book. We're literally making $0 on this and are just doing it to give back to our amazing community of listeners. All right, so go to CryptoRevolution.com today. And get your free copy. All right, everybody. We are joined by Mr. Andrew Keys of Dharma Capital. Uh, they are one of the most prominent hedge funds in the crypto world. Uh, Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Bryce. Absolutely. So stoked just to dive in uh, to kind of, you know, a day in the life of running a crypto hedge fund. Before we get into that, you know, what were you doing prior to running a crypto hedge fund? Uh, and sure. why did you decide to start up in the world of crypto?
1: Sure. So uh, my education was primarily uh, based around economics with a, with a uh, sprinkling of computer science. And I uh, started my career at UBS Investment Banking and eventually built an electronic medical records database company which basically was when i learned everything that was wrong with databases and payment systems and that was at the exact same time bitcoin happened and i thought bitcoin was this magnificent experiment in monetary theory solving the double spend so if i send you an email i can carbon copy somebody else because that's information but if i send you money And I send that same money to somebody else, we'd have hyperinflation and solving the Byzantine generals problem. So the ability to agree on the state of the database uh, in an adversarial permissionless environment. I thought those two evolutions in mathematics and computer science were fantastic, but I couldn't wrap my head around kind of the next step, which was basically adding business logic. You know, if... X happens, then Y, else failure. You know, if this happens, then payment, else failure. And that, uh, coupled with learning about Bitcoin, led me to the notion of smart contracts. So I literally led, uh, read the uh, Ethereum white paper in early 2014 and met, met Joe Lubin, one of the co-founders of the Ethereum project shortly thereafter at the first ever meetup in New York City for Ethereum, like a total nerd. And uh, when, when, when I met him, and he basically explained the concept of uh, taking those, those new properties created by Bitcoin, uh, this peer-to-peer uh, network, but adding the notion of programmability within an asset I became mesmerized. I fell down a rabbit hole thinking that this could be the way, this could be a new way for the world to go from institutional subjective trust to mathematical objective trust, to basically creating trustless environments and adding a trust layer to the internet So So I take uh, it
0: you're you're a little bit more bullish on Ethereum uh, and maybe even some of the other smart contract platforms like Tezos or Cardano or EOS. Maybe a little bit more bullish on that kind of model uh, than the Bitcoin just digital gold store of value model. And I actually I I read your 2020 predictions and you said you know the addressable market for Bitcoin is you know gold eight trillion dollars, but the addressable market for Ethereum is eighty trillion dollars. Can you talk a little bit about that as well?
1: Sure, absolutely. So I think that's right. I, I, I what what I would say is first and foremost, you know, we stand on giant shoulders when can, talking about Bitcoin. I still own Bitcoin. The first digital asset I ever had was Bitcoin. Uh, i I respect and and admire the elegance of what they have designed. Uh, that said, Bitcoin has, in my opinion, you know, one sole use case, which is, storage and transmission of value. Alice can send Bob value peer to peer and really nothing beside that use case. And and, and I'd argue it doesn't work quickly enough um, for the, the the transmission of value because of the, the block times, et cetera. So, so I do think what's more interesting to me is the digitization of the global economy and the new types of uh, business processes uh, and, and automation functions that can, uh, that can occur when we have uh, smart contracts and really the digitization of all assets, not just gold or fiat, but electrons on a solar panel, a Beyonce concert ticket, a software license, a loyalty point, a parcel of land that could be divided by 100 people and have uh, mortgage payments trustlessly uh, submitted and paid to the hundred owners in real time.
2: So you are a guy who completely gets it. I mean, you are so dialed into what the possibilities of crypto are. And with your talents, you decided to open up a crypto hedge fund. What was your vision for this hedge fund of all the things you could do?
1: Yep. So what what I think and, and a pleasure to uh, meet you, Aaron. Uh likewise. What I had done and and if I if I could just thought, re- rewind just slightly before opening that, um I had spent four years um from basically the inception of Consensus, uh, which is now the largest software engineering company in the world building blockchain technology solutions. Uh, you know, I was there from you know a handful of us in Brooklyn to over a thousand people. And I really learned from some of the best software engineers in the world, uh, you know, what the possibilities of this technology were. And then I learned uh, to your question about the actual fund, we really, we we started understanding where we wanted to play in the sandbox. And by that, what I meant was we had seen a tremendous amount of capital being deployed at the application layer. Some of those could be considered uh, ICOs, some were equity investments. I thought the market was way too early. I still think uh, we're in 1996. So we're in really, you know, of the next generation of the internet. So, so the, the poor man's analogy is really crappy broadband or dial-up, not even at broadband. So A... I knew that from 1996 to 2006, 85% of dot coms went to zero. B, I knew that with blockchain, we should really not have too much money aggregated at the application layer. If, if blockchains actually do their job properly, uh, you're going to see a peer to peer world. You'll see Uber like functionality, but without Uber. And and I didn't think that the value would be created at the application layer, but I did think that there would be value created at protocol layers. So for example, the smart contract protocol layer, the storage of value protocol layer, the decentralized file storage protocol layer. So what we, we went on a mission of embarking was to to basically define what were the Web three layers in in what were the layers in that stack, mesh networks, file storage, uh, messaging that are, that's encrypted in peer to peer, smart contracts. What and then do the fundamental research. What were the best assets in that and and those essentially are essentially a new asset class that I would call crypto commodities and. Uh, knowing that I think that we're still in early days and, uh, you know, for example, Ethereum is transitioning from Ethereum 1.0 to Ethereum 2.0 uh, and it hasn't permeated planet Earth yet. Right now, it's just a very small group of people that are, are creating proofs of concepts on it. So that basically, uh, we created a, th- a thesis defining the layers in that stack finding the best assets in that stock. And then what we wanted to do was to create quantitative, systematic alpha. And I'll break down each one of those words. So quantitative means we would do actual financial modeling and create risk regimes on a daily, monthly, quarterly, annual basis, saying this is the state of the market Systematic would mean that we would trade within a rules-bound system. So basically, we would only be able to risk a certain amount based upon those risk regimes. And then alpha was basically the outperformance of a benchmark. And the benchmark, in our case, was the price. So basically, what we created were these quantitative systematic alpha funds that uh, were optimized long. And, and, And by that, we took, these are positions that we are net long in. And what we want to do is simply acquire more of the assets. So if I have 100 Ether, uh, I know that Ether is going to be volatile. Right now, it's at $140. Uh, 4 years ago, it was at a dollar. Two years ago, it was at $1,400. I'm not concerned about the volatility right now because less than 1% of the world uses it. I think when we get to 10%, 20%, 50% penetration, like the internet from 1996 to 2005, the value of that could be 10X, 20X, 50X more. And really our concern was acquiring it. So simply put, we would, when the market would go up, we'd sell some and then we would buy it back when it went down, but we would have a team that we, the, of, of quantitative traders that do that work.
0: That that makes a ton of sense, and I actually just want to kind of pause on one point that you just made towards the end. Is that you know we're about one percent penetration, maybe, uh, not even. and yeah, not even exactly. So at a ten percent penetration rate, like why does value accrue to an ether token uh, with more adoption? Could you talk a little so, bit about the value accrual? Sure,
1: so, sure, sure. So, so I think there are a few things where we're going to see the difference between value accrual. So one is pure utility. People will need ether to run smart contracts and computation on the Ethereum network, A. B, uh, we are going to transition from proof of work, uh, where miners are being rewarded, to proof of stake, where stakers are being rewarded, meaning that benevolent actors uh, within the Ethereum ecosystem could make a deposit, of as little as 32 ether and earn interest for being a benevolent actor to help propagate blocks on the Ethereum network. So that means uh, you could have an annual yield of four to 5% per annum on the ether you you, you hold. So you have an actual uh, yield producing instrument that's not just sitting uh, you know, if if you, if you, if you have one ether today, it's just one ether, but if you, you can essentially put the ether to work in Ethereum 2.0 and earn that 5% interest rate. And the last thing is that, uh, we are going to start seeing state fees where actual ether is burned, uh, through transactions. So I think those are the three, um, I would say, so the first one was a supply side. Uh, consideration, and then the other two were demand sides.
2: That's a great point. And one other thing that I want to touch on that you mentioned the quantitative systematic alpha. Is there any room in that model for just using your own human intuition and your experience, or does it have to be entirely data driven?
1: So I would say that we had it seventy five percent quantitative systematic alpha, and then twenty five percent fundamental research. So we 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 basically have the quant side of the house that is that is doing the modeling and the trading, and then we have our research um, side that is that knows you know this is when the Istanbul hard fork is, so maybe there will be volatility before and after. Um, also r- researching potential competitors. Um, also researching kind of the crosses. So like. If Bitcoin goes up, there could be a correlation that Ether goes up. Uh, We also uh, research seasonality. You know, the two big dips um, of 2019, for example, in Ether was August 15th through August 30th, when you know a lot of people are on vacation, and December 1st through December 30th, tax uh, tax loss harvesting. This is not financial advice. I bet. Looking back at prior seasonality in our fundamental research, a good example when the market goes in the other direction, goes positive, is during the week of New York Blockchain Week. There's almost an unnecessary 15% uh, over irrational exuberance on that side. So basically also there's the quantitative systematic side and then we do have uh, our fundamental research side.
2: Do you have a friend who's interested in getting into cryptocurrency, but they don't know where to start building their portfolio? Well, we have the answer. It's called CopyTrader by eToro. With CopyTrader, you can automatically copy every trade of eToro's top crypto traders, just like myself or Bryce or Kevin, at the exact price point and in real time. No need to study up on markets or develop your own strategies. Simply just sign up and copy our trades. Any profits that we make, you do too. Proportional to your investment, of course. With eToro, you get access to the world's most popular cryptocurrencies with transparent trading fees all in one easy-to-use app. Copy the smart money with eToro. Join now at eToro.com slash Crypto 101. Thank you. And so you talked a lot about, you know, uh, seasonality and all sorts of things like
0: that, but let's actually even zoom out a little bit more. Andrew, where are we today? You know, we're recording this. It is the morning of January seventh. Bitcoin is scraping eight k. Ethereum's at about one hundred forty two bucks. Where are we in the macro cycle for these major uh, cryptocurrencies?
1: So, so we're in the second inning of Bitcoin and the first out of the first inning of Ether. <laughs> uh, uh, I, w- w- what, what, what I'm, I, I. I I don't want to make price predictions, but I don't I, I hope there is that Bitcoin uh, s- stays relevant I, I worry that uh, the concept of proof of work which uh, is extremely energy inefficient uh, and could be a relic of the past very soon interesting uh, and and. I do, but but that all that said, uh, to the institutional investor, to everybody outside of this space, to everybody that doesn't know about the evolution of things, the, the, what the Web3 stack is, 99% of the world that has even heard of any of this stuff only talks about Bitcoin. Right. You know, if, if I didn't know what I know and you guys didn't know what you know because I know how well-researched you both are, I would say it's a Bitcoin world. But knowing what we do know, I, I, I would say we're actually uh, in the equivalent of 1996 in the next generation of the internet. And really, if we were to define what that was, uh, I, I, I would really consolidate it to three core concepts. One is the digitization of all assets. Uh, I touched on that before, but basically stocks, bonds, derivatives, fiat, insurance policies, songs, real estate, concert tickets, loyalty points, all of those will be natively digital. We're going to move them on our phones, just like we send email that easily 100%. In, a, in a year or two. Second is...
3: Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you.
1: the automation of our agreements. Our Microsoft Word legal documents are going to turn into these if-then-else clauses. They're going to embed these digital assets that we just spoke about. And that's going to create new processes, such as an employment agreement where someone can be paid by the minute. Or when when a band licenses a song, they can, they can program the wallet that the guitarist gets 20%, the bass player gets 20%, the, the drummer gets 20%, and the lead singer gets 20%, and and the piano player gets 20% in real time every time the song's purchased, without all of the the intermediation of, of, of iTunes. So so you're gonna have this decentralized World Wide Web. And then the last uh, core component of it is the notion of self-sovereign identity. We take for granted uh Today, that we just log into apps. We log into Facebook, Amazon, Uber, Airbnb, et al. Um, We're going to have that same functionality, but Aaron is going to log into the Aaron browser and Bryce is going to log into the Bryce browser. And that's going to be our repository for our assets, our identity, our reputation, the equivalent of the five stars at the end of your Uber. And from there, we're going to say, I want to ride. And you're going to have somebody else on the other side that's going to have the same and it's going to feel like Uber, but there's not going to be Uber in the middle. So maybe the value that is typically generated from a ride where it's, you know, 65% is paid from uh, passenger to driver and 35% is paid from driver and passenger to Uber to uh extracting Uber down to nothing. And maybe that costs 1% for a smart contract fuel and an insurance policy. And that the, that, that, that 35%, you know, 33 of that now gets shared for either a cheaper ride for the passenger or more value to the driver. So I think we're going to see the value go from intermediaries that are providing subjective trust to, uh users of content or or services or products and producers of those user services or products
2: and before we move on i just want to mention a couple of things to reiterate those points you just made yes there is a decentralized we're already being built right now it's called dav protocol uh, you'll find it somewhere deep in the 900s or thousands on coin market cap but it is a live project yep. and i was thinking you know you mentioned that we're at 1996, 1997 in terms of blockchain. Um, 96, yeah, 96.
1: 97.
2: <laughs> so I decided while you were talking, I was going to Google, what are the top downloaded programs of 1997? Because the only one I could remember was GetRight. And GetRight was a program that you got so you could download other files and actually resume. So if the download failed, if someone called you and disconnected your internet while you were downloading something, And it took a long time. We're talking about 45 minutes per song to download. You couldn't resume. You had to start all over again. So get right was a game-changing kind of thing. (laughs) I mean, I can't think of anyone who would use that at this time. You don't need to. It's now a standard feature on any web browser. But if you, if you Google top programs in 1997, there's nothing there. There was no app stores. There were no programs. You had to go to Best Buy or Circuit City and buy a box with software in it.
1: That's how far we've agree. come. I completely agree with you, Aaron. And to, to further your point, from 1996 to 06, 85% of dot coms went to zero. The first Apple App Store app was not until 2007, 11 years. After dialogue, I think we're seeing that being condensed now. There's a certain amount of kind of building the 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 car while it's driving. Uh, I think we as species, as human beings, um, are now smart enough and already have the underpinnings of the initial internet and and can uh, have great types of informative conversations like this that can be broadcasted where people can learn. But but I would say you're seeing protocols that are not yet finished and people building the application layer for those protocols that are unfinished, which also reinforces some of our thesis to, uh, to why we're not necessarily completely investing at the app layer just yet.
2: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So as a crypto hedge fund, this is something that really interests me in particular I did a deep dive in potentially opening up my own crypto hedge fund, looking through the legal landscape of how to do it here in the United States. And the wisest thing I ever did was run the other way at full speed. Sure. But I have a tremendous amount of respect for everyone who's blazed that trail and jumped through all those hurdles and survived with the fire. What is the landscape? What is landscape looking for crypto hedge funds right now? In terms of legality, in terms of things that you have to go through, you know, is this something that's becoming a more friendly environment that's evolving, or is it really, you know, just a select amount of people can really do what you do?
1: So great question, Aaron. Uh, and 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 I don't blame you at all for running in the other direction. Uh, What I would say is we have to parse that conversation into a few places. So I would say regulatory, then I would say tooling, then I would say vendor management. So uh, regulatory wise, there are literally in the entire digital asset landscapes, two assets that have regulatory clarity, Bitcoin and Ether. And right now, our funds are quantitative systematic alpha on Bitcoin and Ether. So basically, with their single asset funds that try to generate more ether and more bitcoin, we plan to add Filecoin, for example, for the file storage layer of the Web three stack, and and others accordingly. Uh, once they have regulatory clarity, the the next part. So so first is the notion of regulatory clarity, uh, and most of them, most of the funds that are that are that are that are out there right now. I would argue they're not necessarily considering that. Secondarily, uh, when we talk about tooling, if you were to create a long, short equity hedge fund, you can literally pull that out of a box uh, with legal docs, uh, trading software, custodianship, fund administration, and auditor. I would say the five main pieces. uh, And you could be up and running Hedge fund in a box for hundred grand, uh, with blockchain and digital bearer assets. We're talking about now public-private key pairs. Uh, it's a whole new ballgame. So you have to basically put those Lego pieces together in the interim, which I think is is very difficult. And we've tried to assemble all of world-class vendors in, in to do so. Um, and lastly, you know, to talk about that vendor management. Uh, the, you know, everything costs double as much and it's not as seamless as if, you know, in a typical hedge fund, everything would be through fix APIs. If you had multiple trading partners, um, the other thing is liquidity. So, uh, if you had $10 million worth of ether and the price of ether was a thousand, it would be easier to get in and out of that ten million dollars at thousand dollar ether versus if you had ten million dollars worth of ether and the price is one hundred and fifty, so th- there are liquidity constraints uh, to consider. You know that said, uh, uh, Ernst and Young uh, created a great report showing that the majority of crypto hedge funds had less than ten million dollars of AUM. They self-custodied, which uh, if you're a CFTC registered hedge fund, you're not allowed to, they didn't have an auditor, uh, you know, and, and and basically all of these, these things that that, that, that that were just complete red flags. So we basically took that list. We were already building it already, but we basically took that list and said, make sure we have the auditor, make sure we're not self-custodying, make sure we have a fund uh, administrator. Uh, to basically um, try to give confidence to the institutional investment community um, Mm -hmm. that this looks, feels, and smells like everything else you're used to, but it's just a new asset class because really that's what this is. It's a next generation asset class.
0: I love it. It's very comprehensive breakdown on the landscape for hedge funds. Um, let's transition a little bit over. Uh, in again, not financial advice, not investment advice, but Dharma Capital. What coins are you looking at uh, for the twenty twenty uh, buyers market that we're entering into?
1: So, uh, I, I, I w- w- what I would say, rather than particular coins, uh, I would just elaborate on. Uh, reiterate the Web3 stack. Um, I, I think that the smart contract layer is important to the Web3 stack. I think it's the glue. Uh, I am very interested to see uh, uh, new smart contract platforms like Near Protocol. Uh, like uh, it's not necessarily a smart contract platform per se, but the parachain uh, protocol uh, like Polkadot. I'm very interested to see that go live, and to see uh, if we we see more of a general purpose approach like Ethereum, or if we see these parachains um, like uh, like like Polkadot. I'm I'm interested to see that. I'm very interested in the decentralized file storage layer. I, I think that Wambanet and and Protocol Labs that have built IPFS Lib P2P. Uh, and Filecoin, which testnet just went live in December and mainnet goes live in March, I, I think those guys are and gals are geniuses. So I, I I'm I'm a very much a supporter of them. Uh, I'm interested in mesh networks. I, I think uh, uh, concepts like Helium in um, the mesh networking space uh, is is very interested, and interesting. I'm a fan of Bitcoin going into the having. Uh, I think, that, and and you know, I, I I always will pay homage, and always will have a small token amount of Bitcoin, uh, and and then one that I don't think, and 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 this is a, a pretty strong conviction of mine. Um, I don't like jamming tokens into places where they don't necessarily need to be. I agree. Uh, I, I I think that I thank God that the Telegram ton. Uh, debacle is, is is slowing down, but uh, that said, I'm a huge fan of decentralized, encrypted, peer-to-peer messaging. Uh, one, for example, that I think is a great messaging layer that's not a token; it's just a pure open-source project. Is something called Matrix um, that's built by a Cambridge computer scientist named Matthew Hodgson. Uh, the country of France. Uh, declared that they were going to transfer all of their public services communications off of WhatsApp to something that was 100% open source, peer-to-peer, and encrypted, and just chose Matrix last year. So uh, I think that that's a really cool... So rather than, you know, what token am I buying? It's, you know, where do I really see Web3 manifesting uh, in reality? I think that's totally
0: a fair answer, um, and that's actually a lot more helpful than uh, just giving somebody, "Hey, here's a hot tip." It's like, "Hey, here's the here's the stack. Here's what you need to be looking out for." And, and kind of in closing, I just want to zoom out to the macroeconomic. Factors that that you know we might be looking out for uh, for risk on markets. So you know what are you seeing? I mean, I know we just uh, bombed Iraq and Iran, and there might be some crazy things going on. So why don't you talk about that for the next five minutes?
1: Sure, sure. So so uh, very quickly, I think uh, the United States will not go into recession this year. I think that Europe, uh, if anybody, will be the first into recession. If you look at the five largest economies, Germany, England. Italy, France, and Spain. You've got Germany uh, with Deutsche Bank on on verge of default. Uh, England's literally eating itself with Brexit. France is in constant protest, and Spain and Italy's economies have been in a downward trend uh, for the, for the last five seven years. And they are supposed to be a European Union. They are they they right. are all working. Uh, individually on their own issues rather than the union. And I think that bodes poorly for each of them individually and the union. So I think that's one big consideration. I think a real China-US trade war, so, so we're in an election year. The I'm not gonna get into politics, but any incumbent president knows that the number one factor is a good economy. Going into the election year, so I think Trump will do everything to catalyze a good, positive economic year. So the first thing, which what I would say was it was that was was halfway decent, was the China-U.S. trade deal. It was kind of a half step. If they get a real China-U.S. trade deal, uh, economies will boom. Uh, with respect to what's happened in the Middle East. Uh, I think that it was very interesting to see that we had a tremendous uh, sell-off in equities, uh, uh, but we saw gold, Bitcoin, Ether, uh, oil, oil, yep, yep, and, and 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 the price of oil. So so now, uh, and then and then the last piece that I would just add to it is that we're seeing these trillion-dollar companies. Microsoft, Saudi Aramco, PetroChina, AWS, or just Amazon. I think that when when looking at uh, these huge valued companies, I I think we're looking at the end of the third industrial revolution. And if you if you continue down that kind of obviously there were the ones with the natural resources like Saudi Aramco, but if you keep going down that stack and you start seeing you know, Facebook, you know, extracting so much value for for really being this intermediary for socialization where we could see a, a new version of say Facebook where we do the same socialization. But if you pay attention to an advertisement, maybe you get paid a buck a day instead of Zuckerberg. Hmm. Uh, I, I think that it's the, the ones to, to, to short, if you will, and it's probably not time yet because we're in 96 and we need to get to 2001 and to 2005 and the technology's just got to continue to mature. But basically, anybody that's getting paid for providing subjective institutional trust and, and really, they're all the same thing. It's an identity provider that has a payment rail, a reputation system, uh, and, and then whatever their little niches. You know, whether it's the Airbnb hotel or the, the, the place to stay or the Uber ride, you know, we can create next generation versions of that. And I think that those are going to have very uh, hard times. And, 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 you know, if anything, uh, you know, we, we learned our lesson about like private market valuations uh, of pre-IPO companies in, 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 in WeWork, in Uber this year. Uh, that have been down tr- uh, precipitously fr- from their IPO or well uh, we worked in even IPO so so uh, I think that's another interesting uh, part that we should be looking at kind of the pre-market pre-public market froth uh,
0: Andrew I cannot thank you enough for all the insight that you just shared with us uh, this was I mean, invaluable i mean you can't get this kind of information uh from reading a book from scrolling through twitter i just can't thank you enough man thank you for spending the 40 minutes with us
1: godspeed guys uh i really like what you guys are doing just keep doing it there's a whole world we all have to educate absolutely thanks aaron thanks bryce thank you godspeed
0: Crypt Nation, just a friendly neighborhood reminder to go to www.crypto2020summit.com and register for your free conference pass to the online summit, Crypto 2020 Summit. We got 60 speakers who are giving their bold predictions for prices and bold predictions for uh, technological developments in this crazy crypto space. So if you want to be the first to know the big news and you want to make sure that you're in touch and in tune, go to Crypto2020summit.com right now and register for free.
1: This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on.